Well, this morning we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 3. But before we jump on into chapter 3, I'd like for us to go back into Genesis chapter 2 and we'll start reading there. So we'll look at Genesis chapter 2 and we'll start in verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which, God, which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So I taught most of chapter 2 last week, and of course that teaching is available on our website at aloveoutreach.com, but I didn't comment at all last week on verse 25 here in chapter 2, where it tells us that the first man and the first woman were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, this verse is completely understandable because why is it that they were naked and unashamed? Well, because everything was good. That's how God created all things to be, uh, to be, including man and woman. Sin has not entered the picture yet. Sin has not entered into the lives of mankind at this point yet. At this point in time here, the man and the woman only have the knowledge of what is good. And that is everything that God created for him. If you remember, everything that God created, we looked at it and he said, it is good, it is good. So man... Kind here only has the knowledge of what is good. They do not have any knowledge of evil at all at this point here. So there was no reason for shame here. God created nothing but good for mankind from the very beginning. But all of that good that God had created is about to be undone by a choice. And moving on now into chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 1 says... Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Okay, so we'll pause on this verse here for a little while. You see, for me as I read this, it brings up, you know, some questions in my mind. For example, if everything is good that God created thus far... Why is it that this serpent has the ability to do something bad? Well, if we search the scriptures, we can find some clues here as to what has happened to this serpent. Okay? Why is there 
this evil in the garden, so to speak, at this point in time. Let's turn, let's mark this page, we'll come back to it, but let's turn to Revelation chapter 12. So the last book in your Bible, Revelation chapter 12. And this is how I study the Bible. You know, everybody has questions. You, as you study it, a question comes up in your mind. Well, well, how did this get here? Where did this come from? Well, what you want to do is interpret Scripture with Scripture. So you can dig deeper into the Word of God and kind of piece it all together. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, I'm not going to teach on this verse here this morning, but because we, I do have a teaching on the internet on Revelation if you want to listen to it, but don't get confused here. This is speaking of a time in the future when Satan will no longer be granted access to heaven. Up until this point in time, even as we live today, he is granted access to heaven, okay? And we can, there's a bunch of scriptures we can look at for that as well. But you can go and listen to the, the teaching on Revelation chapter 12 later if you'd like. But what I want to point out to you here is that we see that Satan, the devil that is, is called the, that serpent of old here, okay? That serpent of old. Now, I'll show you one more verse that states the same thing. Turn, if you will, to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to look at verse 2. Okay, this is just a verse saying that calling Satan the same thing here. Verse 2 of Revelation 20. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Again, we're talking about a future event here that hasn't yet happened. But there again, though, we see that Satan is called that serpent of old. So the serpent in the Garden of Eden did not act by his own volition. In other words, it wasn't just this snake in and of himself doing this, a serpent, right? He was entered into by Satan. And this we can conclude when we study the scriptures in their entirety. You see, Satan is not a physical being. He is a spiritual being. And I'd like for us to take some time to look at some more scriptures here that will show us that fact, okay? Let's, let's first turn now to the Gospel of Luke. Okay, Luke chapter 22 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. We're going to look at Luke chapter 22. And let's start reading in verse 1. Luke 22, 1. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. They're speaking of killing Jesus here, right? Then, 
Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So Judas here was about to betray Jesus. And what happened that caused him to be in this position? What is it that happened that caused Judas to do this? Well, verse 3 tells us there that Satan entered Judas. Okay. Now, physical bodies, of course, cannot enter other physical bodies. So here we see that Satan is a spirit and that he enters Judas here. Now, turn to Matthew chapter 16, the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 16. Matthew 16, and looking down at verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show, his, show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So here we see that even though it was Peter that rebuked the Lord, Jesus did not speak to Peter, but rather to Satan. Peter was influenced by Satan here. Satan wasn't there physically. Peter was. And it was Peter's voice that was used by Satan. And Jesus gives us some good insight here on how Satan behaves. And he says that Satan is not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And you know, that's a good way for us to judge ourselves as to whether we may be being influenced by Satan in the wrong way, right? What are we mindful of? Again, when, when I say those words, are we influenced by Satan, I'm not talking about demon possession, okay? I'm just talking about Satan. The Bible describes as the little God of, or as the God of this age. I, I always call him the little G God because he's not the capital G God. But he's the prince of the power of the air, the Bible says. He has influence in this world today. And sometimes we have to examine ourselves and see how we are being influenced by this world. What are we mindful of? Because Jesus said here that Satan, right, as he speaks to Peter, he says, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So we have to question ourselves from time to time and say, are we consumed primarily with the things of men, meaning the things of this world? Is that, which, is that what always consumes our mind? Or are we focused on the things of God and God's will for our lives? Because that's where he wants us to be, seeking first his kingdom, right? But let me show you some more scriptures here. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 5. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. Acts chapter 5. Verse 1, starting in verse 1. 
It says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Now, we're jumping in on the middle of a story here, I know, but I'm, I'm trying to point something out to you. But what was happening here was the church, the body of believers that had come to Christ were all living in unity. They had all things in common. They were working together. And this guy, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira, they sold a possession, and they kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, it says, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So here again, we see that Satan can enter into a person that is not led by the Spirit of God, but rather cares about the things of men. This guy Ananias was trying to trying to put up a false appearance, trying to act like he was part of this group and part of something. But Peter was an example we saw of a man that had his mind on earthly things and Jesus rebuked Satan in him for it. Ananias here is an example of a man that was looking out for his own interests and trying to join a group of people that were sold out to God and he was trying to act like he was too. And these things take place in the body of Christ today. There are many people that go to church for the wrong reasons. They may be seeking prospects for their business, or they may be seeking a woman or a man or whatever it may be. And people go to church with many different motives. And that's why we can see, you know, so much hypocrisy within Christianity today, because quite frankly, there is so much hypocrisy within Christianity today, right? But while we're on this subject here, let me show you something that Peter said. I want you to turn now to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. We're getting some exercise here in turning the Bible pages, right? 1 Peter chapter 5. And looking at verse 8, so 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You see, as you've heard me say many times, Satan wants to distract us from the things of God, and he wants our minds on the things of men, the things of this world, right? And as that verse says there, we do have an adversary. And we can't forget this fact, that he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But the solution to the problem is very simple here, and that is that we are to resist him as it says there, steadfast in the faith. That word steadfast means unmovable, unshakable, right? We're to remain unmovable in our faith. We're to continue in the faith and we are to resist the devil. Colossians chapter 3 says that we are to set our minds on things above and not on things of this earth, okay? 
And back in Genesis chapter 3, this is what we see taking place. Satan has entered the serpent. But when we look at that, this leads to another question to me. And how did Satan get on the earth in the Garden of Eden in the first place? Okay, how did he even get there? Right? Well, we know that, again, that he is a spirit. And we'll see that here shortly. But let's turn now to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. Difficult book to find. You may want to look it up in the front of your Bible or page number. Ezekiel 28. So what I'm pointing out to you here thus far is that Satan is the serpent of old. He was there in the garden. And he still roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, even till this very day. And it is his desire that we be distracted from the things of God, as we see him doing with Eve in the garden, right? But in Ezekiel chapter 28, we're going to see that God will again speak to a person that is being influenced by Satan, much like we saw with Peter, right? But also at the same time, we'll see that God is speaking, as he speaks to this man, he's speaking to Satan himself. And you'll see what I mean here. Starting in verse 11, so Ezekiel 28, 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, so this is Ezekiel, right? The prophet speaking here, what God spoke to him. He says, verse 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, okay? And say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald, emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect till your ways from the you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So this is God again speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, telling him to speak these things to the king of Tyre. The king of Tyre was a real person and that was a real place. Just like the serpent was a real snake in the garden of Eden. Just like Peter was a real person rebuking Jesus and Judas was a real person betraying Jesus. But God and Jesus didn't speak directly to these men about their behaviors, but rather he spoke to Satan who was influencing their behaviors. Okay, We've seen that in all these examples thus far. But here in these verses, we get the story as to how Satan ended up in the garden. Satan is not like the pictures we see drawn of him today, right? He was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom 
and, and perfect in beauty. The New Testament tells us today that Satan can appear as an angel of light. In other words, he can look beautiful and he can look good. He can look very tempting, right? It says here he was the anointed cherub, right, which is an angel on the holy mountain of God. He was perfect from the day he was created till iniquity was found in him. And then verse 16 says, By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. In other words, you're out of heaven, Satan. Go there where the kings of the earth can look at you. The people of the earth can look at you. Again, it's important that we realize that God is speaking again to the real king about his behavior. In other words, the king of Tyre. But he is directing the blame to the real culprit behind the scene. And that is Satan. And this is not uncommon for God to do this. Again, I'll just remind you, that's what was happening with Peter. Why did Peter get told, get behind me, Satan? Because it was Satan that was influencing Peter in speaking to Jesus there, right? In John 13, 27, after Satan had entered Judas, Jesus said to Judas, what you do, do quickly. See, Jesus was speaking to both Judas, who was there physically, but also to Satan that filled him. But here we see how Satan ended up on the earth. He once had a place as an angel of God, but he was cast out of the holy mountain of God. He was cast out of heaven. So as we turn back to Genesis chapter 3 now, it's not hard for us, in light of all of those other scriptures, to understand that as the serpent speaks to the woman, it is Satan speaking through the serpent. And later we'll see that God will speak to the man, the woman, the serpent, and to Satan in that order. We're going to see that as we go on. God's going to speak to the man, to the woman, to the serpent, and to Satan. Okay? But picking it up now in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So the woman here knew the truth, didn't she? She already knew the truth. She knew that they did not need to eat what was on that tree. They already had everything they needed. God had already provided for them everything that they needed. Now, I don't mean to compare a salesman to Satan, but it's like when a door-to-door a -door salesman shows up and he gives you a good pitch as to why you need what he's selling at your door. You already have all you need, though, right? And you know you don't need what this guy is selling, but somehow some people get fooled into buying these things at the door even when they don't need it. Now, I'll admit I'm not very nice to door-to-door -to -door salesmen. I mean, I'm not mean to them, but I just cut them short and say, no, thank you, move on, you know. But that's only because, you know, I just don't need it. 
And, and when you come to that place in your life where you realize you have all you need and you, you look at the Bible and you say, okay, God has provided for me. And that's what Eve should have done here, right? That's what the woman should have done here. She should have said, no, God said this because she, she knew that God said this. She repeated to the serpent what God had said, right? But she didn't obey it, right? We're going to see as we go on. Verse 4 says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So since the very beginning of time, Satan has been trying to twist God's word. That's what he's, done. That's what he's doing right here. That's what he still does today. He tries to twist God's word. You know, things like, oh, come on, God's word doesn't really say that. Just, just have sex with me. I'll marry you someday, right? Satan uses all kinds of things. Come on, just a little kiss. Oh, get out of here. There's no hell. Nothing will happen to us if we just live life the way we want. God will understand in the end. We're saved by grace. It doesn't matter how we live. Come on. These are the kind of ways that Satan will twist the word of God. And twist what we know, that God, how God wants us to live. We know it because we see it in His Word. But then Satan comes along and twists things in our lives and tries to get us distracted. Okay? And that's what we see taking place here. Right? You will be like God, the serpent tells her. Satan tells her. In other words, you won't need God because you can be the God of your own life. You can be the captain of your own ship. You can make all your own choices and do whatever you, you want. You don't need what God has said. So Satan is pulling this same trick on the lives of people today as well. You don't need the gospel, he tells them. You don't need to repent. Look at those church people. They're hypocrites. You don't need that, right? So this is, this is the way that Satan is. And, and that's why we are to be like we read in that scripture we are to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he, whom he may devour. And that word sober means sober-minded. It just means being aware, right? Vigilant means to be looking out for things, because your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But what did that scripture tell us? It told us to resist him steadfast in the faith. We have to keep the faith. We have to, our faith is in what? Our faith is in the Lord Jesus and in his word, right? But what did the woman do? Well, verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So the woman bought the package deal here, from Satan through the serpent. And the man joined in on the deal as well. But it, it just looks so good. Even though they had all they needed, this just looks so good. What, what could be wrong with this? It looks good to me. The, in Proverbs it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. In other words, it, it looks good. But is it good? And is it what God wants for us? Okay? So God didn't make Adam and Eve lack in any way, but somehow they fell for the lie that they needed more than what God has already provided for them. Have you ever found yourself there? 
I know I have. I have fallen for that lie that what I already had wasn't good enough, and I bought into the thing that I didn't need. And this can happen to all of us if we are not mindful of the things of God, but rather mindful of the things of this world, of the things of this earth. We can fall into many temptations, and we can fall into many trials, and many things that distract us from our Creator, God, and and put us on a path that we're so far away from God, that we don't even know Him, that we don't even know what His will is for our lives. And we just got led astray by this world and the God of this world, Satan, right? Some scriptures came to mind here, and I think it's important that we take a look at them. Let's turn to the New Testament book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. After 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you'll find Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, and let's look down at verse 16. It says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So you see, this is the answer here to the problem of sin. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, your flesh and the Spirit of God are contrary to one another. You can't have it both ways. You can't live in a way that displays that you do what you want to do, you live how you want to live, and think that at the same time that you're under the power of the Spirit of God. This is what makes a hypocrite, right? is a person that thinks they can live how they want to live and and then, oh yeah, I know God too. I go to church on Sundays or I do this or that, right? But this is not possible. And you see, if the woman and the man in the beginning would have just obeyed the word of God, all would have been well. And the same thing holds true for us today. We must be obedient to the word of God. We die to our fleshly nature on a daily basis and we take up the cross and we walk in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. And this is the only guaranteed way, as the Bible says, that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? And we're instructed to how to do all this in the Bible, right? And flipping back to Genesis chapter 3 and picking it up in verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So now all of a sudden here, because they were disobedient to the word of God, shame has entered the picture. Before there was no shame. We saw that at the end of chapter two. But now all of a sudden there's shame, right? They heeded the voice of Satan and made a choice to disobey the words that God spoke to them. And again, this is the way that all of us once walked in this life, right? Now I'm going to have you turn again in your Bibles, but this time to the New Testament book of Romans chapter 6. 
Right after the book of Acts, you'll find Romans, Romans chapter 6. And looking down at verse 20, it says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. So pause right there because all this is simply saying is that when you choose to walk in sin, you don't care about righteousness. If you're choosing on a daily basis to live a life of sin, then you're saying, I don't care about righteousness. I don't care about those things, right? And Paul speaks to the born-again person here, and he continues on in verse 21, and he says, What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You see, Adam and Eve in the garden now came to a place where they understood shame. And today, every human being has it within them to understand shame. There is no excuse for people. Mankind knows wrong from right. Even when the serpent, when Satan approached the woman, she knew what the answer was. She told him, well, this is what God said, right? But when a person comes to Christ and is born again, they are then ashamed of how they used to walk because their eyes are opened in a different way. Now their eyes are open to something new. They're open to the Spirit of God, the things of the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of Christ comes within them. And their eyes begin to see things differently. They begin to say, well, I'm ashamed of how I used to live without Christ. I'm ashamed of all the time I spent not caring about God or the things of God. And verse 22 here says, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we know that all have sinned. Every one of us. All have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. But there is a clear distinction between walking in sin and walking in righteousness. Sin causes shame. And shame can be a good thing when it leads us to repentance. When we come to that place where we've come to the end of ourselves and God by His Spirit is beginning to to show us who He is, right? But oftentimes people don't experience shame until they've been born of the Spirit and this requires repentance. But back now in Genesis chapter 3, we're getting the story as to how sin entered the world in the first place. Okay? Remember, God created everything good. It wasn't like that. It wasn't His intentions. But sin, through Satan, through the serpent, entered the world. And verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So now, as a result of disobedience, again, shame has entered the picture, and mankind, what do they do? They begin to hide themselves because of their sin. As mankind, we like to hide our sin, don't we, right? If we do it in the dark or we do it behind the scenes and no one knows, we think we get away with it. And why does mankind do their sinful deeds in the dark or behind the scenes? They do it because they know it's shameful. They know it's wrong, right? Man is without excuse. 
Now, of course, we know that there are people that seem to know no shame. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 4 says there are people whose conscience has been seared as with a hot iron, right? And in Romans chapter 1 verse 28, it says that there are people that do not like to retain God in their knowledge. So God gives them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. But not everyone is that far gone, you know. But nonetheless, mankind hides their sin from God as if they can really get away with it. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, there is nothing covered that will not be revealed. And there is nothing hidden that will not be known. That's what Jesus said. So we've covered a a lot of ground here this morning. I've given you a lot to think about here. So I'm going to stop here for today and we'll pick it up at this point next week, Lord willing. But I exhort you again to stay the course, right? As we've seen in scriptures today, keep a watch over your spiritual life in Christ. Take some time to examine your walk in the Lord this coming week. Fight the good fight of faith. Read the word of God and Examine yourself. That's, that's not a bad thing. All of us need to examine ourselves. Scripture tells us that. To examine ourselves as to whether we're in the faith. Where are we in the faith? How are we walking in accordance with God's word? And are we, right? Remember, we do have an adversary. The serpent of old, he is called. He was there in the beginning and he deceived mankind. And still to this day, he seeks to distract people from the Word of God and the love of God and the will of God, right? And ultimately, He would love to destroy us. But what are we to do? We are to resist Him steadfast in the faith. So stay focused on the things of God and not focused on the things of men. And, you know, again, we we gather like this on Sunday mornings for such a short time and it's just... A very short time in the Word of God. But you've got all week now to seek God in your daily lives as you go about your daily business, as you go to work, and as you do your different things, right? Continue just to seek the Lord. And continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You again for Your Holy Word, God. Your living and active Word, Lord, which Your Word tells us that it is profitable for instruction and righteousness. It is profitable for rebuke and correction, Lord. And each one of us, Lord, as we go through this life, apart from you, we understand that we can do nothing. But we also know that we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. So we need you, Lord. Not one of us is good enough to stand on our own today, Lord. We need the power and the strength that you give, that resurrection power that you give, Lord. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit within us, upon us, Lord, that we would just continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you, and that your will would be done in our lives, Lord. Again, we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.